0: So if I was to ask you what you think that most of the people that you work and you live around, what they think about Jesus, what might you say? Might you say that, actually, I think most of them, you know, have a relationship with Jesus. They like Jesus. Well, in 2017, the well-known and reputable research group, Barna, discovered something that continues to blow my mind. They found out that almost all Americans believe Jesus Christ was a real person who actually lived. In fact, 93% of the people in this country. But do you want to know what else they discovered? They discovered that nearly two-thirds of Americans, they say that they have made a commitment to Jesus that's still important to them today. That's two-thirds. Out of three people, y'all, that is 200 million people in this country that have a relationship with Jesus. And what is, it, what is it they actually believed about Jesus? Well, the study showed this is what they believe. That Jesus is accepting, fun-loving, brave, warm, and I love this one, practical. Jesus is practical, practical. What that means, though, y'all, is that most of the people who live and work and we surround ourselves with, especially, I think, even in the state of Texas, I think that we do not realize that most people, they're really, really okay and actually have a relationship with Jesus. Now, what they think about the followers of Jesus in the church is a sermon for another day. But I have to tell you, this news, this excites me. This excites me not just for Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church, that that the harvest is literally plentiful, but it excites me for our world, that, y'all, Jesus transforms lives, and two out of three Americans say they have a relationship with Jesus. So who is Jesus? I imagine, if you're like me, that Jesus has been different things in different stages of your life. So when I was a child... Jesus was a fair-skinned, strawberry-blonde-flowing man that wore a crisp white robe with like a blue sash, and he had perfectly manicured feet, and he wore Birkenstocks. And he was about this big, and he lived inside my heart, okay? And then as I was a teenager, um, I remember hearing for the first time, even though I had heard it tons before, but really getting that, oh my gosh, this person, this person died for me. And because of that, I have abundant and eternal life. And then as I I moved into college and as a young adult, Jesus became kind of my role model. And so in everything I did, I was going to ask, what would Jesus do? And I wore the bracelet, and I also made sure to tell other people they should probably think about what Jesus did as well. That didn't go so well for me. Now, well, I got to be honest, y'all. Now it's kind of different day by day. Um, In the fall, when I was discerning whether this is where God wanted our family to come, Jesus was my wisdom. In December, when I was commuting back and forth between here and Atlanta, Jesus was my only steady companion through all of that. And honestly, this past week, we had a few hiccups with the schools, and uh, Jesus was my teacher reminding me I needed to trust and to forgive and honestly chill out. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And who is Jesus to the two-thirds of the Americans that believe in this person? We can definitely not put Jesus in a box, and I have no intention of doing that. But over the next several weeks, we are going to look at what Scripture says Jesus is. And we're going to do that through the Gospel of Mark. You might be wondering, why are we doing the Gospel of Mark? Well, it is the shortest, and I really wanted to get a gospel in before the end of Easter. And so that's kind of a practical reason. But y'all, we know that the gospel of Mark is the first gospel that was written. And that both Matthew and Luke, they used Mark's gospel to write their own. So there's something really powerful about kind of the authority that rests within this gospel. There's also some really neat things about this gospel. There are 77 unique words that are found in it, that are nowhere else in scripture. And one of our pastors, Stacy and Drew Beckley, one of our leaders, are leading a class over the next several weeks about some of those individual words. And and I wanna encourage you to, to attend that class starting next week or to pop in once or twice. It's gonna be amazing. We have a reading guide for you as well I talked about. The thing about Mark is that when you look at it just in its length, it seems kind of simple but it is in no way simplistic. There is much richness and depth, and if you ask any minister, a shorter sermon is more difficult to write than a longer sermon. It has been said that this gospel was meant to be read aloud, and it'll take about an hour and 20 minutes, and so I thought for our first Sunday we should go ahead and do that. (laughs) Just kidding. We're actually just going to read the very first verse. But before we read that, let us look to the Lord in prayer. Holy and gracious God, you are our authority, and this revealed word before us is our guide. May it teach us this day. May everything that is of me fall by the wayside. May it only be your truth that we hear. In Christ's name, amen. Here, Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I want to read it again. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark begins his gospel with the word the beginning. And what's interesting is our very first book of our Bible, Genesis, begins the same exact way. And Mark is intentional for why he's doing this. You see, he wants us as the reader to realize this person I'm about to reveal to you, this good news that I'm about to tell you about is Jesus Christ. And guess what? He has been there since the beginning. Mark wants to make sure we remember that the, the third, this person of the Trinity, Jesus, has always been. In the beginning, there was God. The God in the beginning was always three in one. And this is how the Gospel of John writes it. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, this is Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, without that, thir- without that person of the Trinity, nothing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all the people. And this is the most important thing I want you to know about Jesus being God. It is not as if in the year zero, God woke up one morning and thought, gosh, humanity is a wreck. They need a savior. Let me think. I think that I'll create someone named Jesus, and I'll send that person to earth, and that person will die for them. And, and, No, no, no. You see, this has been part of God's plan since the beginning. There has not been a time when Jesus was not. Saying this, though, saying that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is divine has been very controversial throughout history. In fact, 1,800 years ago in Europe, it was such a big controversy that the emperor of the time, Constantine, he gathered together a whole bunch of Christian leaders for the first ever Christian council. It was called the Council of Nicaea. And there was so much going on because there was this man named Arius. And Arius' claim was that Jesus was not, in fact, divine, but that Jesus was a creation of God. Kind of a, an, It was an insurance policy, if you will, of God. And, and at this council of Nicaea, Constantine, who's just recently been converted to Christianity, he looks out at these men and he says to them, division in the church is worse than war. Now, I don't know if I agree with him modern day, but I can tell you, as someone who has experienced division in the church, and I know many of you have, that it is a kick to the gut for the church to be divided. And Constantine did not want this to happen anymore. And so this group of men, they created what's called the Nicene Creed. And this is what, it, what they came up with. This is how they made sure to claim that Jesus was divine. This is how it reads. It says, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten from the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. You see, although Jesus was fully a human, son of man, which we'll talk about next week, Jesus was fully God, of the same substance, of the same essence as God. The fact that Jesus is fully divine has, has a huge part of who we are as reformed Christians. And it's important for us for a couple of reasons. The first is, it reminds us that when Jesus is in the flesh, that that's actually God in the flesh. And so every time we read about Jesus becoming thirsty, or offering someone else a drink, or eating a meal, or falling asleep on a boat, or becoming betrayed by his friends being denied, not even to mention the agony of suffering and death that he had to go through, y'all, that was God. That was not just a human. The two cannot be separated. This is what it means for Jesus to be fully God. The second reason that it is so important that Jesus is the son of God is because it's never happened before. It's never going to happen again. There has only been one God that has taken the form of a human, our God, Emmanuel. No other being or demigod or demigorgon has ever been God in the flesh. 42 years before the birth of Christ, the emperor was Julius Caesar, and he was assassinated. He was the emperor of Rome, and upon his assassination, he was given a title, in Latin, it was Divius Lulius, the divine Julius. Y'all, he was literally declared to be God. And then 15 years later, Caesar's adopted son, Augustus, you will recall from our, our Christmas story just a few weeks ago, who sent out the decree that all should return to their homes so they would be counted. That emperor, he was given a new title, Divi Luli Filibuster, son of God. This is what I want you to know. When you look in scripture and you see the the phrase, son of God used by someone, and most importantly, when it is used by Jesus himself, he's not just claiming the divinity. He's claiming a statement against the cultural expectations of the time. You see, because the emperor, the emperor of Rome was God on earth, divine, divine. This person was in control of the food that people received, the roads that they were able to travel on, their taxes. And so when Jesus says that he is the son of God, he is counterculture. He is saying, this is not your Lord. Jesus is the one and only deal because God is the one and only deal. In the Oscar-worthy cinema production Talladega Nights, And parents, if you haven't seen it, you don't need to, and you definitely don't need to let your kids see it. The main character is played by comedian Will Ferrell. He is Ricky Bobby. He is a race car driver, and he is strung out and a mess. In one scene, his family is sitting around their dinner table with a delicious meal that my boys would probably love, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Domino's, and Taco Bell. And, and it, the wife looks to him and says, will you offer grace? And so Ricky closes his eyes, and he looks down, and he says, dear, sweet, infant, baby Jesus. And she stops him, and she says, you know, Jesus grew up, right? And he says, that is the type of Jesus I like to pray to. I like to think of him as a little baby. And then he closes his eyes, and this is how he prays. He says, sweet baby Jesus, infant baby Jesus with your golden fleece diapers. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus. See, you all, most people in this country, they have an idea of who Jesus is. In fact, the research tells us that they have a relationship with Jesus. All the more reason we need to know what our scripture says that Jesus is. I want to encourage you to take some time over the next several weeks and read through the Gospel of Mark with us. Rediscover who is Jesus. Who is Jesus for me? Not just who people tell me Jesus is, but who is Jesus? Reflect on, on what, it mean, what does it mean to you that our God came to us in the flesh, experienced pain like we do, needed Band-Aids like we do, experienced joy and laughter like we do. God, Emmanuel, fully divine, son of God. In my opinion, the most renowned theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, had a lot to say about the divinity of Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, Jesus is very God of very God. He was possessed even in his earthly life, even as a baby of Bethlehem, even in his death on the cross of all the divine attributes. Bart says, never at any moment did the person of Christ cease to be God or limit in any way the fullness of his deity. Friends, I want this to be an encouragement to you this day. Whatever Jesus is for you right now, it is okay. Your friend, your companion, your wisdom, your teacher, your convictor, your rabbi, your savior. Know this Jesus is very God, a very God. Who is this Jesus that we believe in? I want you to stand and join with me saying the Apostles' Creed, which is one of our creeds. If you don't know it by heart, do not worry. It's up on the screens for you. Friends, let us state what it is that we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead.